Good morning. Appreciate all those that have had a part in our worship time today. And it was good to see all of our young people up here, several of them taking part in the service. Uh, you guys work out your preaching schedule also, would you? Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, starting a new series today. It's going to take us up to Christmas and maybe beyond. From the Gospel of Luke, we're going to begin a study of the incredible story of the greatest man that ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do it from the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And so just like in any series, you, you have to start with an introduction. And there's some things that we need to know up front about the Gospel of Luke that will help us as we go along. First of all, the Gospel of Luke is the first of a two-volume history that includes the book of Acts. Both Luke and Acts are written by the same person, Luke. And both are written to the same person, Theophilus. You also need to know that the Gospel of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. And when you add the book of Acts along with Luke, that makes Luke the author of about a fourth of your New Testament. More than any other New Testament writer, even the Apostle Paul. In the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, we have the most comprehensive New Testament account of the history of redemption. Both books carry the history of about six and a half decades from the birth of John the Baptist up until the first imprisonment of the, the Apostle Paul. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, his name appears three times in the New Testament, three times in the Bible actually. Colossians 4 verse 14, 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, and Philemon, verse 24. However, you will not find Luke's name in the book that bears his name. Nor will you find Luke's name in the other book he wrote, in the book of Acts. It's as if his humility and his desire to exalt Jesus and the church, I think that's very evident from the fact he doesn't even mention his name himself. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called, anybody? The synoptic gospels, that's right. Many of you know what synoptic means. It means that they're similar, okay? Each has its own distinctive emphasis and themes, but they also have much in common. They basically follow the same outline of the life of Jesus. They all have the same basic content and basic structure, basic perspectives. All four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a good account of the life of Jesus I like what Dr. Kent Hughes says, though. He says, Matthew's keynote is royalty. Because Matthew wrote to the Jews, proving Jesus was the son of David, that he had the right to be the son of David. Mark's keynote is power. John's keynote is deity. That Jesus was God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, deity. But Luke's keynote is love. Love. Luke also focuses on individuals. 
more than any other gospel. He's going to tell us about Zacharias and Elizabeth here in the first chapter. He'll tell us about Mary and Martha. He talks about Zacchaeus. He tells us about Cleopas, one of the two men that were on the road to Emmaus that Jesus appeared to. He'll go into detail telling us about the woman that anointed Jesus' feet. So he just goes into a lot of detail talking about people. He focuses very much on individuals. In Matthew's Gospel, when Matthew talks about the parables, like in Matthew chapter 13, he focuses on the kingdom. He'll say, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field and goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out to sow seed. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast out into the water. So his focus is the kingdom. Luke's focus in parables is on individuals. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among thieves who beat him and stripped him and left him half dead. So it's interesting Luke's focus just on individuals. Luke's gospel transcends the first century's neglect of women. You'll hear a lot of women's names in the gospel of Luke. Names like Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Anna, who was at the temple. Um, Martha and her sister Mary. Mary Magdalene. Joanna. Susanna the widow of Nain, the widow who gave all that she had, the daughters of Jerusalem, and other women that are mentioned in the parables of Jesus. And so Luke will mention women more than the others. You'll also see Luke's heart for children, and even infants or babies. You'll see that in the birth and childhood of John the Baptist. You'll also see it in the birth and childhood of Jesus. In fact, Luke is the only gospel writer who gives us any information of all, at all about the boyhood of Jesus. It's very brief, not much there, but he's the only one that mentions anything at all about the boyhood of Jesus. So he, he's partial to children. He's also partial to the poor. He portrays Jesus as coming to preach the gospel to the poor people and to bless poor people. He tells us about the shepherds around Bethlehem, and he'll tell us that they were poor and Joseph and Mary, when they went to Bethlehem to pay the tax and offer the offerings required of them, they made the offering of the poor people. So Luke cared about the poor, and he would repeatedly return to those themes. But he also warns us about the dangers of riches. As you study the parables in the Gospel of Luke, he'll talk about the rich fool. I'll build more barns, and I'll sit back and take my ease. He talks about the unjust steward. He'll talk about the rich man who ignored Lazarus. He'll talk about the rich young ruler who turned and walked away from Jesus. He'll tell us about the widow's might. And so over, over again, he'll talk about those themes. Chuck Swindoll said this, and I quote, he said, Thanks to Luke, we know of the prodigal son... Zacchaeus, the good Samaritan, the greedy rich man and godly Lazarus, the healing of the ten lepers, the restoration of sight, the search for the lost sheep and the lost coin, the priority of kindness over legalism, 
The woman healed of her 18-year infirmity, the penitent thief on the cross, and the faith of disillusioned believers restored. Luke briefly acknowledges the reality of hell with one clear mention in chapter 12, verse 5, preferring instead to cast a longing look into heaven more than 30 times. He presumes his readers already know the realities of living in a sin-sick world, so he presents the Son of God as the great physician, which I think Luke was uniquely qualified to do since he himself was a physician, a doctor. And once again, Dr. Kent Hughes says, Luke has given us an invaluable gift, the most extensive and varied of the Gospels, as well as the most artistically constructed and the most beautifully reasoned and written. And Dr. John MacArthur says, Luke is the longest and most thorough and complete of the four Gospels. It is the most comprehensive narrative of the life of Christ and the spread of his salvation. Now let me tell you one more thing about Luke. From 2 Timothy 4.11, where his name is mentioned, it's at the end of Paul's life, pretty much. I mean, Paul has ministered for all these years, been God's apostle to the Gentiles, and now he's nearing the end of his life. It's all been said and done. And Paul says, everyone has deserted me. Only Luke is with me. Hmm. And so it's with great anticipation and and I hope with great joy that we begin this study of the incredible events that lead up to the birth of the greatest man that the world has ever known. So let's get to the text, shall we? Luke 1, beginning in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things that you've been taught. Notice verse 3. Luke says, it seemed fitting for me. Your Bible may say, it seemed good to me. I think that's a great place to start. Luke says here, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account. Or as the New American Standard, which I read, said, it seemed fitting for me to write it out for you in consecutive order. Well, an orderly account of what? To write out in in consecutive order what? Well, the incredible record of the greatest man that the world has ever known. A record of Jesus Christ. So notice, first of all, this method. Verses 1 through 4, I know I've told you countless times, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, the Greek text, verses 1 through 4, one sentence. All right? One sentence. And it's considered by some to be the best style sentence in the New Testament. Luke was declaring to the ancient world that he was writing about history things that really happened, and that that history must not be ignored. And Luke's qualifications are pretty impeccable, don't you think? He was a historian. He was a theologian. He's a physician. And we know from Colossians chapter 4 that he was a Gentile convert. And we also know from the we passages in Acts, Acts 16, Acts 20, Acts 21, and Acts 27, where it says, we went to a certain place, or we did this, we know he was a part of Paul's evangelistic team. Now, we don't know the details of his conversion, 
But apparently he had reached some level of Christian maturity before he ever came under Paul's influence. Again, Luke's record here is pretty sizable work, longest book of the New Testament, written with extreme care. One Bible scholar said perfectionists will love the Gospel of Luke. He has the mind of a scientist, the pen of a poet, and the heart of an artist. Through his exquisite vocabulary, he gives his reader a front row seat to what? To the incredible record of the greatest man the world has ever known, sure. So verse 1, he says here, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. There was no shortage of material about Jesus. Not even in Luke's time, folks. There was an enormous amount of material regarding the life of Jesus. Both authentic and apocryphal. Both true as well as false. So there was tons of material a lot of supporting evidence of who Jesus was and what he had done. Dr. John Phillips said certain facts of the faith had already been settled because the salient facts were already known. Jesus of Nazareth was no ordinary man. He was the incarnate Son of God. He entered into life by way of a virgin's womb. He lived a supernatural and sinless life. He taught truth in a pungent, undiluted, memorable way. He triumphed over demons, disease, and death. He died an atoning death on a Roman cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven. And now he sits at God's right hand in heaven as our advocate with the Father, anticipating his bodily return to this earth. End of quote. That puts it pretty well. And Luke had access to all those sources, to all of those facts. He doesn't specifically mention any of them. He knew Mark, but had he read Mark's gospel? Had he read Matthew's gospel? I don't know. Can't prove it one way or the other. We do know Luke knew Mark because both of them were on Paul's evangelistic team, at least for a while. Luke could have visited Matthew in Jerusalem during Paul's two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. We were there in the lands of the Bible in 2010. We were at Caesarea. It's not all that far down to Jerusalem. And so Luke could have went down to Jerusalem and interviewed all kinds of people. Matthew, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, all kinds of people. The apostles, the 70 that he writes about in Luke chapter 10, the women that he writes about that ministered to Jesus in Luke chapter 8? I mean, how, how did he know that if he didn't talk to them? If he didn't interview them? The 120 believers that gathered in Jerusalem after Christ had ascended into heaven. He writes about that in Acts chapter 1. No doubt he had probably talked to some of the 500 witnesses that had seen Jesus risen from the dead that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15. So Luke ha has dug into it. He has investigated it. And so he says in verse 2, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. So Luke wanted his readers to understand that his history of Jesus came from the best, most authentic, written and oral sources of that day. He had spent time tracking down each detail, traced everything thoroughly, and the result was this spectacularly accurate history. 
Sir William Ramsey said, Luke's history is unsurpassed in regard to its trustworthiness. And so we see his method. He had the most authentic written and oral sources. He had interviewed eyewitnesses. He wrote an orderly account, a systematic arrangement, grouped around themes that he wanted to emphasize about the life of Jesus. That's his method. But secondly, notice his man, referring to the one he wrote to. Who was this person he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts to? Well, he writes to a single individual that is referred to as Theophilus. If you look in the book of Acts, same person, he wrote to him. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, that first account would have been the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Acts, the second volume, picks up where the Gospel of Luke ends. And then Luke begins to write about the explosive growth of, of Christ's church. The Bible doesn't give us any details about Theophilus. Now the phrase, most excellent, does get our attention though. Because that tells us that he probably came from the upper levels of society. You say, well how do you know that? Well. Luke uses that same phrase, most excellent, over in the book of Acts when he refers to governors Felix and Festus that he had to appear before. He referred to them both as most excellent. And so that's what he calls Theophilus, which tells us Theophilus, whoever he was, was probably from the upper levels of society and might even have been a Roman official of some sort. We also get one other clue, and that's his name, Theophilus, which is a combination of two Greek words. Theos, which is God. Philos, which is love. His name means one who loves God. So we have a man from the upper levels of society that loved God. That's the man that Luke has chosen to write this orderly account to. Notice number three is mission. Verse 4, Luke tells us right up front his purpose in writing this orderly account to Theophilus. It was so you might know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. The exact truth about Jesus. Let's be honest, folks. We, we're not that careful in our world today, are we? We're not that careful about the exact truth in our contemporary society. If we want to know something, what do we do? Let's Google it. Yep. Everyone guilty? Raise their hand. Yeah, yeah. We Google it, right? Because we know that whatever we see on Google is right. No? It can be wrong? You're right. It can be wrong. I, there's been, I don't know how many times it's happened to me that I've heard some, somebody talking about a story and I think, man, that'd make a great, uh, a great illustration in, in a sermon. And so I go and I, I Google it. And sure enough, it pops up. And underneath it, another pops up. And underneath that, another pops up. And you're reading the same thing from different sources. And you're thinking, oh, this is good stuff. This, is, this has to be true. Until you mention it to a friend and they say, oh, no, 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 no. That story's been debunked. No, that, that never happened. That's been discredited. Go to Snopes.com, and you'll find out that's not true. And you're thinking, 
Well, how in the world did that get to be the first thing that popped up? Maybe it's because it's the one that has been looked at the most. So, if you tell somebody, oh, you want to you know about Jesus? Just Google it. God help us. What Jesus are they going to read about? Okay? No, you don't send people any place except the Scriptures. You send them to the Bible. This is the accurate account. All right? And Luke took great pains to present the exact truth about the life of Jesus. He wanted to be sure Theophilus had that. Are you, are, 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 are any of us, are we that careful with the truth about Jesus? We ought to be. We ought to be. He wrote an orderly account that was precise and accurate so that Theophilus or anyone else that would read this would have a complete understanding of the life of Jesus. He wanted them to know the truth, the exact truth. Because some of the teachings that Theophilus might have already picked up might have been inaccurate, might have been false. So Luke's very specific about the details concerning the life of Jesus. In fact, Acts chapter 1, he says he composed the first account about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, he's very specific about the cost of following Jesus. He highlights it all throughout his book. These highlights, and you'll think, hey, I, that verse is familiar. I know that verse, like Luke 9, 23, where Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me which is the complete opposite of our society today. Nobody wants to deny themselves, right? I mean, nobody goes to the bookstore or to the library, to the self-denial section. And I suspect if I were to ask my librarian daughter, she'd say there is no such thing, all right? No, people go to the self-help section. Yeah, you know, help yourself, sure. Yet Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, self-denial is where it starts, and take up your cross daily, then you can follow me. Luke's very clear about that. Over in Luke chapter 14, he's talking about the cost of discipleship, and he makes it real easy. He says, if someone's getting ready to go off to war, they don't just get up and take off and go to war. No, they count the cost and see if they've got enough men to reasonably think they've got a chance to win. Or somebody's ready to do this large building project, they just don't go out and pour some foundation. They count the cost first to see if they've got enough to finish the project. And he's saying, you count the cost too of following me. You count the cost and see if you think you've got what it takes to be my disciple. You've got to count the cost. You got to think that stuff through. So he's giving an accurate, precise account to Theophilus, making sure he fully understands. And we need to be more careful ourselves. One historian wrote Luke the historian will make you certain about the gospel, Luke the theologian will touch you with God's love and grace, Luke the physician will help you to love people, and Luke the musician will set your heart to singing. How many of you have read the book of Luke and thought about music? Thought about singing? Probably none of us. I don't think about singing when I think about Luke, but did you know that the word rejoice is found more times in the Gospel of Luke than in any other New Testament book? 
Even Philippians where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. That's true. And the word joy regularly appears as well. There was joy in Zacchaeus receiving Jesus. There is joy on earth in finding a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. Joy in heaven when lost sinners are found. In fact, you read the book of Luke, you're going to find out it begins with rejoicing and it ends with rejoicing. And Jesus is the center of it all. And John MacArthur said, in the remarkable providence of God, the Holy Spirit ensured that the book of Luke, wrote initially to one man, would be disseminated around the world. The beloved physician, theologian, historian, and pastor had the privilege of becoming the instrument God would use for the salvation and edification of millions throughout history. Let me show you one more thing. Over in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I told you how in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, Luke is saying, this person has gone here, this person has gone here. Nobody's with me except Luke. Just Luke. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 18, Paul says this. He is commending Titus to the church at Corinth. Telling the Corinthians, I'm sending Titus to you. He's coming. He's got my recommendation. All right. Uh, he's a good man. All of that. Commending Titus to them. Then he says in verse 18, And we've sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he's also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. There are several Bible scholars who think that Paul is referring to Luke. That Luke is the one being sent along with Titus. And he says, whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. How would you like to be known that way? Famous among all the churches for preaching the gospel. Wouldn't that be great if that's what you and I were known for? Telling people about Jesus, famous for sharing the word wherever we go. So let me close today with three questions. Praise team can come on back up. First question is this, what's your method? What's your method? What's your method of making sure that people know the truth about Jesus? Do you have one? Or are you going to tell them, just Google it? Please, please no. What's your method of making sure that the people in your own family know the truth about Jesus or that your friends know the truth about Jesus? What are you doing to make sure they know the truth, the exact truth about the life of Jesus? And that's the answer. You send them to the scriptures, absolutely. That's the source. So what's your method? Secondly, who's your man or who's your woman in the context of this message? <laughs> All right. That person you're specifically concerned about, that they would know the truth about Jesus. For Luke, it was Theophilus. Who is it for you? 
Some of you home folk that have been here for a while remember that we used to have brightly colored papers that we had in our Bible to remind us to write one name down on that or our green bracelets, some of whom I think of you still wear them. Keith's got his on. My brother-in-law, Jim, always used to, yeah, he's got his on still. Just reminders. Who is that person? And thirdly, what's your mission? What are you all consumed about right now? What, what's your life all about right now? Is, is your mission to make money? Is your mission to have fun? Is your mission to build a business? What's your mission? And shouldn't our mission, shouldn't our mission be to want people to know Jesus? Are you passionately and purposefully sharing the story of the most incredible man that ever lived? Those people need to know that story. And, it's, and story is such a, oh, I've been reminded that if I use the word story, it makes it sound fictional like it never happened. That's sad that that word has become that way in our world today. The account, the records of Jesus. People need to know that. Right before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. It's called the Great Commission. Why? Because if we do that, he'll be with us. And he'll help us get it done. What's your mission? Well, there's a whole lot more to the story. <laughs> Much more. We haven't scratched the surface yet. This is just an introduction. So I hope that you'll be back next week and every week thereafter to hear the incredible story of the greatest man that ever lived. One last question. Do you know Jesus? If not, why not? And if you desire to know Jesus, are you doing what it takes to gain the information? Today we come to decision time. We'll be standing and worshiping together. If you don't know Jesus. Why not come and tell someone that can help you come to know him? Don't let the opportunities pass you by. The most important person, man, that ever walked this earth, who did the most important thing for all the world in dying to save us from sin so we could live forever. You want in on that? Then you need to find out the information about Jesus. Why not at least make that step today to begin to learn of him? Maybe there's other decisions you need to make. I'm going to stand down here in front this morning as we sing this first song. You can meet me down in front if there are decisions that you want to make publicly known to others asking for prayers or the support of God's people. After that, I'll be back at the back door. Andy's back there, Jim, some of our elders that are here, Carrie and others. Get with someone that can take you where you need to go. Let's stand.